Hi, welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. This week I spoke in the basement of the Swanston Hotel with Bryce Halliday. The Swanston Hotel is my venue for this Melbourne run and it's been going really well. I've been doing Everyone's a Winner six nights a week for three weeks now and it's I, I'm really proud of it as a show. Last night I had the interesting experience of having the entire mergers and acquisitions department of a large law firm come along and that was one of the most uh, intense engagements I've had with an audience for a long, long time because my show is a little bit about why I left the corporate world and a lot of it seemed to be (laughs) why I am not doing what you are doing. And then we all went out to dinner afterwards, which was equal parts hysterically funny and uncomfortable and interesting and just fantastic to be in that particular fraught legal environment without any stakes anymore. Uh, other than of course social stakes and I'm a polite person but they were wonderful lovely human beings and I really enjoyed talking to them if you're in Melbourne or you have friends in Melbourne send them along to my show 615 at the Swanston Hotel brackets the Mercure on Swanston Street other than that uh, blatant plugging I'm really excited for the next couple of weeks I've got some great people lined up so subscribe if you're not yet subscribed rate us highly if you haven't yet Uh, and Enjoy this week's podcast with Bryce Halliday. You're having tea with Alice. That's my cut point. That's your head point. Now that we're not doing slander anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, not slander. I don't have true. a... Uh... I don't really have a wait, wait, hear me out this week. Oh, actually, I do. I, I have been, I've been... You can do the one you did last the, time, because remember, the, we're not putting that up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever you like. The, um, the fun, like, the wonderful thing about being here for Melbourne and having, a, a like, a longer time here than I did in Adelaide. The unfortunate thing about Adelaide was I sort of did the week of shows in Adelaide, and then I was sort of, uh, I went out and had a good time and met some people on the last Saturday night, but then I was sort of on the plane home going, oh, I kind of didn't really get to experience anybody else's stuff. I was so wrapped up in making mm. my stuff happen. But whereas this I've had, I've had, um, you know, I did th- last Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I did an impro show on Sunday and on another one on Tuesday. And then around that I've managed to see quite a lot of other stuff. Mm. Um, and I keep, <laughs> I keep, I've seen a few sketch groups and I've seen, um, a few comedians and I was there going, oh, well, I should write a, I should, <laughs> it's, I had this completely uh, paradoxical idea where I was like, I should write a show that's just a rant about how I'm sick of male comedians <laughs> and that why there shouldn't, it's, it, you sh- that men should never really call themselves feminists. Uh, and that, uh, and as, and sort of <laughs> get to the Whoa, end of the show and go, I'm really sorry I even put on the show at all because now I'm just adding to the more male comedians that there are out there. Why don't you think men should ever call themselves feminists? That's an interesting one. Um, it's not, it's, it's more, it's more that like, there's nothing wrong with it in theory. It's just that any person, any man that I've, that I've ever sort of heard, read their work or heard their work who have gone, yes, no, I'm a male feminist. And I've always just fucking hated because it's like, just kind of let let women have feminism just you can you can be like no i'm i'm happy with equality that's fine yeah. there's no there's no need for you to sort of go yeah i'm going to get up and fight for feminism it's like if anything just well it's a, i just mean stop it, fighting i think it depends on the tone in which you do it like there's a difference between saying i'm for civil rights and being mm. a white guy going 
Black Power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So there is a there is a, a difference, and I guess it's in the way that you see uh, guys explaining to women what feminism is. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think you can, everyone can use all the help they can get. Mm. I do a bit. Uh, it's quite interesting in my show that I introduce by saying it's really difficult to be a man these days. <laughs> And it gets such a laugh because it's so unexpected. Mm. But I do think it is, in many ways, quite difficult to be a man these mm. days. Because, you know, you, masculinity is hard to define in the modern world. You don't, yeah, It's not defined it. by muscular strength and violence anymore. But it's also still seen as somewhat uncool for men to be hypersensitive. It's still seen as uncool for men to be very gentle mm. or not uncool necessarily but not necessarily attractive so you're walking this weird line where you're not sure exactly how to be a good man yeah yeah and and i guess for women as well that's difficult because being a good woman used to be defined either by your achievements in the home or by your chastity yeah and now it's sort of another thing Mm. but no one's quite sure what it is and even the idea of being good morally is a little bit yeah, yeah, sure. A little bit fraught. It's one of those things where I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It does feel like we're in a time when everything's up in the air, but I do wonder, is that just what it's like at any given moment to be... Like, yeah. like we sort of think of... The, like, we use the term 50s housewife to kind of point to a very specific uh, cultural short, shorthand. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, was it, was it, did, it, did a 50s housewife know that she was a 50s housewife in the... 50s when she was being a housewife. Well, I think that was an interesting period because being a housewife would have been incredibly boring at that mm. time because you'd had developed just enough technology that you mm. could, you know, you had you could have a washing machine and you could have a Hoover and you could have things that made your labor, which would have been extremely hard physical labor almost mm. right up until that point, would have made your labor quite easy. Yeah. And then you have this competitiveness about the idea of being a good housewife that you you have the luxury then of worrying mm. about the flourishes of housewifery. Mm. Um, oh, okay. Here's my my wait wait. Hear me out. Okay. Um. Like, obviously, there's no right way to do family, and there's any number of ways that you can choose to raise kids, and there's sort of any um. Uh, number of sort of arrangements of, of the division of roles um, but to me it stands to reason that because women breastfeed kids for the first couple like you know months or most of the first year of their life that um, that for that period they would they would be at home just looking after the kid mm. uh, and to me it, that's the kind of one moment where I go oh that's kind of a, a not a not a waste, but it, to me, it, to me, it sort of goes. Oh, why would you? Why would you go to so much effort like, to like to you know do breast pump and everything else, and and keep sort of career going when you could when if there is a man in, and it's a kind of stable relationship, then why not have? Okay, that's a reasonable division of labor that the guy is doing, going out and doing work, making money, and the woman is at home kind of taking care of that. But obviously, that only works in a kind of stable relationship, and there's plenty of reasons why. But there's. So. I think I think that's an interesting point, mm. and I have a few things to say in response to it. Um, 
and the main underlying thread of that would be we need to um, make the nurturing of children culturally more important than it is. Mm. Or not important, more valued in a measurable way. Yeah. Because otherwise it's seen as a loss of time. Mm. If you take a year out to breastfeed, breastfeed your child and if you believe that breastfeeding research is, you know, bre- that breastfeeding is better, which is arguable on its own. Mm. Um, breastfeeding supremacists are a particular kind of, <laughs> of smug, but I was, you know, breastfed and I feel fine about that. Um, and my mum, partly because she was sick, but partly because she had twins, was very much a stay-at-home mum until mm. we were two or three. And then she was just a sick mum <laughs> mm. uh, and stayed at home for other reasons. But I think if you put a monetary value on raising children mm. that factors in the impact of good child raising on society, and that is huge. Like mm. the way that children are brought up has an impact on their health, yeah. on their likelihood of being criminals, so on and so forth, down the track. Hmm. So if you put an actual monetary value on effortful and thoughtful and considered child-rearing, whether it's in tax breaks or whether it's in some kind of other really measurable reward, hmm. acknowledging the good it will do for society in a real way, then it becomes less of a sacrifice. At the moment, yeah, it's seen yeah. as a sacrifice, and it's a sacrifice of your career. But it's not a sacrifice of your career if you take a year sabbatical to go and do a master's degree Mm. or to go and work for the UN for a year or to go and do charity work for a year and then you come back in. You know, people do those career breaks all the time because they're developing either their own career Mm. or they're developing some social good. They're doing something pro-social that's seen as a worthy cause. Yeah, yeah. And so, for example... You know, I worked in law firms where people have taken a year out to go to Uganda and help in prisons there. And those people didn't make it into the show. No, <laughs> no they didn't make it into my show. But <laughs> this is these are interesting things because mm. that's not seen as a sacrifice of career prospects. Yeah. Whereas having a child is, and so I think that is an indication that we don't see raising children either as challenging or intellectual or developmental of somebody's individual personhood Mm. or commercially viable. And maybe it isn't commercially viable because maybe it gives you different priorities than the commercial priorities, which are arguably not the correct priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, for some context, I think... I can't remember when the transition occurred, but I'm I'm pretty sure mum raised... Me for like the first was a stay at home mum for like the first part of me and my brother's life, but my, but it was dad was very much a house dad between I think when I was about probably two and six or so, and it was mum who was running a cafe and sort of mm. having that kind of career. And I don't know if this is my life, but on that point of careers, I do feel I've seen the observation a bit that 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 we are less kind of career f- we're becoming less career focused these days, and it's sort of more. Uh, Lifestyle focused. Yeah, yeah. Well, more acceptable that you would sort of work in something for a couple of years and then you'd sort of move into something else and it wouldn't necessarily be related at all. Yeah, which um, is, I think, probably a good, a good move for the whole idea of having kids. I yeah. think you, if you see that as a valuable thing, and people are doing a lot more kind of 
you know, home based things. Mm. People are doing and it's, home yeah, businesses it's so much easier and to work from home. Work yeah. from home and so on and so forth. I just think in the absence of the idea of a moral good, which is what we used to see child rearing as, as a kind of a natural moral blah blah blah, which is a flawed thing because it implies that if you don't have children, if you're not a mother, you're somehow less of a woman. Mm. But in the absence of that and the ab- absence of a commercial measurement of value on child rearing, we need to find an alternative. What do you reckon of the idea of, of if we had more sort of creches that were like at the workplace? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. So I, yeah, I remember reading about around war times of, of like having women who were working in factories, but they had, um, you know, uh, area yeah, for the, for right. the kids and they would bring the, bring the kids yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know that's an interesting perspective well I, the, the the thing that made me the thing that made me think of it was um, I um, uh, did a short and sweet piece earlier in the year uh, and it was with a, uh, a, a girl called Helen Paris who's a like a singer-songwriter um, and she has two, two kids uh, and so for um, so it was a two-person piece um so it was me and her uh and there was a couple of times when she came into into the city to meet us because she lives out in the western suburbs mm-hmm. um but yeah there were a couple of rehearsals where we had to go to her place and she was sort of there taking care of the new baby and kind of in rehearsals and it was kind of like I've, there were there were like moments of, of us sort of running the piece and me sort of going oh it's a little bit hard to kind of get right into it because there is a, a child making noise every now and again but the most of me was just kind of like this is fine. Why? Why is this the first time in my life that I've that I've Ever been been, been, been working on something and just a baby was there? I also don't think that I think we have a weird idea about where babies should be. Yeah, yeah, it's very much separated. The... It's very much separated, and part of that's the weird sort of per, disproportionate fear of pedophilia. Mm, yeah, yeah, which is uh, means we're not allowed to leave children outside anymore. Mm. And then part of it is we people, some oh childless people's weird sense of entitlement that they should be able to move through the world without ever encountering a baby. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, a baby on public transport is some massive offence, or a baby in a cafe, or a baby on an aeroplane. Since when did we feel entitled to live in a world without children? Mm. Surely, surely they're an integral part of society. Like, you can't just, you don't just enter society once you hit a certain age, you... Hmm. We are yeah, people yeah, yeah. of all ages. I do. <laughs> I do keep having that moment uh, when I first moved to Sydney, uh, um, almost five years ago, and uh, I was like catching the train in in sort of the middle of the day, and it was it'd be like ten o'clock or sort of two o'clock or something, and see all these high school kids on the train and go, "What? Where are these kids going? Why are they? <laughs> why are they? Are they? Are they truanting? That seems a fairly obvious way to do it, but I guess they have. They're doing." I don't know. It was bizarre, and I keep—I always see it. Um, I thought I had more of a point then, but I did not. No, you—you you um, feel entitled to be insulated from high school kids. No, I'm just wondering what they're. What, they're, <laughs> what are these kids up to? That's my. <laughs> that's well, I assume a they're in year twelve. And that an old man would come up with. <laughs> what are these kids up to? They're yeah, kids on the train today, huh? <laughs> I saw no, a kid on the tram. I don't know. It just seems like. <laughs> I had a much be more fun. Bringing our point. children into work more often. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I, not. I've been watching... Child uh, labour is what I'm um, going for. I, about, about a year ago, I, I um, downloaded like a couple of seasons of Hey Arnold. Did mm, you ever watch that? With the football head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I loved it when I was a kid. And it was such a, a wonderful, just nostalgic trip to, to do every now and again. Was go, oh, I'll pop on a 
They only go for 11 minutes. I pop on an episode of Hey Arnold, and it's it's so like I've I've welled up in a couple of episodes partly because they're just like such great little stories. But there's so it does feel like a kind of a lost time because there's no there's no um, there's nothing wrong with the kids in that show just kind of being kind of wandering through the streets by themselves and just hanging out together and having mm. a lovely time. And my, my, mem- my favourite memory from the show from when I was a kid, and I'm so happy every time it comes up in the show again, was when they tell stories to one another. And they had this kind of folklore thing where they all kind of sit down on the stairs and it was usually Gerald or the other, or the other kid with the backwards hat that would kind of... No, yeah, Gerald would always tell the story and the guy with the backwards hat would, would sort of almost be like an MC and he's like, this is the tale of so-and-so, take it away, Gerald. And then Gerald would tell the story to the rest of the kids and then the kid the other kid at the end would always be like that's my man and it was like it's so endearing to watch to watch kids sort of acting like adults in the show but they were fake but, um, kids but, that yeah, were written by no adults. i know but it was sort of it's so <laughs> the they were they were in a real they were in a real city like it was a cartoon but the the, the it's not like adventure time or something where where you feel like you can freely run around this or like Spongebob or something you can freely wander around this world because it's it's a mystical place where not, nothing is really truly dangerous but Hey Arnold was set in a real city yeah. and they encounter strange people all the time who you kind of do the way they talk and, and that in, I feel like if that was being made today that, that character would be too far and would be kind of a little bit too pedophilic yeah intense those, or weird or yeah, crazy yeah. it's interesting the idea of protecting children is uh, something something fairly new, really. Hmm. It's not particularly... Uh, I mean, children need protection to a certain extent, but also, to a certain extent, they're going to live in the world at some point. Yeah. And we do... I mean, there's this, the classic thing that you hear in law firms or in business places where someone will get rejected for a job at the age of 23 and their parents will call. Mm. And say, why did you reject my like this? Oh, right. Why did you reject my child? Like, as because oh. they never stopped protecting their children. Mm. And this has got something. I don't. This is a, that's a weird thing, right? Mm. But of course, your parents are always going to see you as a child. That's how your parents are. They remember you when you were sperm. They, <laughs> they, they, they're just astonished that you can walk. Mm. and live in the world so they obviously they want to protect you but at the same time there is something to be said for that teenage impulse to storm out of the house and never come back yeah yeah because you're not really ready for the world but you never become ready for the world until the world kind of punches you in the face a few times mm. which is not to say you need to send your kids to a school of hard knocks which is not to say you need to like traumatize your children to toughen them up but there's a point at which they need to develop a shell Mm. And well, okay. So uh, the song that's second to last in my show um, is called "Important Shit," and it's how nobody nobody teaches you the important shit. I sort of talk about the things that you do learn in school, um, but nobody, yeah, nobody teaches you how to talk to somebody who's just been dumped or or, or, or told they don't have long uh, to live or something like that. Um, that's interesting. I I find that interesting. I like that as an idea. Um, and so it's like. It, I'm, it's probably the song that I'm most proud of in the show, and people do kind of. It's the sort of the one that people do talk to me afterwards and go, "Oh, that that song about the important stuff was was kind of was good, was <laughs> affecting." 
but I, it, like it is actually something I feel like I want to like rather than I sort of do it through the vessel of song and it's kind of somewhat poetic but it is something I feel like I want to have a rant about as of sort of going as important as it is to learn history and geography and all that kind of stuff why is food tech an elective surely that should be the one compulsory subject teaching children how to feed yourself yeah and and you know food tech and commerce are these kind of two things that I frankly didn't do in high school because they were electives but I look back and go like why were no those no one not... ever taught me to do nope. taxes no one ever yeah, taught yeah. me to make a budget no one ever taught yeah, me yeah exactly you know, no one ever taught me how those things worked. I had to go, mm. how to pay a bill. Yeah, yeah. You have to kind of figure that out. You know, how to deal with a parking fine. Yeah. And you're sort of like, you, you kind of... You how pre- to not be a stalker. Yeah. How to you... take being dumped. How to <laughs> dump someone politely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe we should start an after-school program, Bryce. You and I. Well, I like the the argument against it is is that oh well, these are the things your parents are supposed to teach you, but it's like yeah. they don't. They, they clearly don't. don't. You know, my... and if that's the case, what are you going to school for at all then? You know what my birds and the bees talk was? <laughs> my dad sat down on my bed and said, uh, "Ali, have you been? Uh, have you learned about?" Um... And I was like, "Yeah, we learned about it in PE." Mm. And he was like, "Okay, so." Um, a lot of people do things that are not good <laughs> and they pretend that they are but you're a good girl so you'll know okay. oh, end of conversation uh. do you want like <laughs> how do you Thanks, deal Dad, with how, how do you deal with that was the line I, did, it, you know? I, I didn't it wasn't until like <laughs> towards the end of my teens that I even realised what people were saying when they said the birds and the bees talk because I just didn't have any context for what that well, that was it's when um, a bird and a bee have, have with a bee <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it kind of alright so what's what's the new what's the new curriculum that we can you and uh, I, you know, after right school now. class. So what are we? Well, not even after first? school. What can we? If we let's let's after we've finished recording this podcast, just go and find the board of education and sort of do a hostile takeover. Okay. Uh, so you and I are now the ministers for education. Yeah. Um, uh, what? Yeah. What is? What is? What is the core things that you look at? Because I yeah, not, like my whole the rant that I haven't had is that no, I obviously have nothing against learning English and maths and geography and history though they're all they all sort of they're all fantastic things to know and particular yeah particular like um I did I did drop maths in the sort of higher level but I felt looking back I feel good that I learned maths up to the level that I did yeah I dropped like, it out in year to, 10 I was awful at yeah it. yeah but it's sort of like yeah you know ev- everybody talks about how they they don't remember half of the stuff that they learnt in school and I feel like it's because, like, yeah, you don't encounter it on any other day. So, of your what life. if you integrate this uh, life lesson thing into your everyday mm. thing? So, you, you add, so for example, in English, you're studying Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And then you use that to discuss the text and the, the use of metaphor and the use of poetry and the use of analogy and the use of nature imagery. And then you also go, well, what does this teach us about teenage relationships? Mm. You know, how how long do we think this relationship would have lasted <laughs> had they not died? Yeah. How, uh, you know, what do you, what would have been a way that they could have dealt with this better through mm. open communication? <laughs> you know, like, wh- why not integrate it in that way or through history, you know? Yeah. 
I, I still feel like that's still being a slightly higher level thing than I want to start with. I really do want to start with, start the day with, uh, what, what, in fact, tell people, don't even bring lunch to school, like bring ingredients to school and we will create them together. So you think first up cooking, feeding Yeah, I, I really do think like feeding yourself and, and teaching everybody like the most basic nutrition. My like, I, I hate that I have still, still, I keep, I like every now and again buy a book, book, a cookbook that's like quick, easy meals and still without fail, I like flip through them on an evening where I don't know what to cook and all of them are still so complicated. <laughs> And it's like, you're going to have these herbs and these other things. And it's like, I'm sure it is easy, but please just tell me something that is just as simple as spaghetti bolognese that is not spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> okay, I can do that for you. I'll give you a, a cooking lesson. Um, I learned to cook on on the ingredients that we had in the cupboards because mm. uh, there, was a, there was a space between when mum wasn't really cooking and when we started getting pocket money or slash mm. access to you know, credit cards so we could do the shopping for the family stuff. And my granny was kind of the saviour in that period. She'd bring dinner around three or four times a week. She was sort of this, you know, Jewish grandmother, amazing mm. person. But I learned to cook with, like, what would, what was in the pantry, which would be, like, a can of lentils and some oranges and some salami. And you just have to go, <laughs> okay, how is this going to work? Yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting... That's an interesting way to learn to cook. You can kind of do it by by trial and oh god, some horrific errors. Yeah, yeah. Like some really bad errors. There was one time when my brother and I were making a stir fry and we both added corn flour. No. <laughs> 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 it was the most. It was just like congealed, mm. just the most repulsive thing you could possibly imagine. Uh, it looked like dog food, mm. and it tasted like corn flour because <laughs> well, like the, the society that I want that is such a highfalutin way to start a sentence um, what I, what I, no, like we we, we 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 live in a western society where if someone says told us that they didn't know how to add and they didn't they couldn't really read our sort of draw, jaw would hit the floor and go oh my god where did you grow up but yeah, it's kind of acceptable when when people say, "Oh, I've got no idea how to cook. I, I constantly have to eat out." Like I feel like I want this. That's what I want. It's the same kind of jaw dropping thing of like not not that there's anything wrong with with eating out, but it's kind of like uh, as with everything. Every as with everything else, there are experts at certain fields of food and everything else. But everybody should have like some kind of basic ability to do to do adding. People should have a basic ability to read, and people should have the basic ability to feed oneself yeah. and to know how to not. To put just shit in your mouth, like <laughs> shit, shit not food, to put shit in their mouth. but shit food. <laughs> the shit food, which is yeah, pre shit, I guess. Yeah, uh, that is interesting. And then, as as you said, like everybody should know how to do their tax. Everyone should know how to do tax. Everyone should know how to do a budget. Everyone should know how to get dumped with grace. Yes, and to dump somebody yes. in not an awful and appalling and manipulative way. And even if you don't practice that at least knowing how to deal with something how to how to uh not make somebody feel uncomfortable when you have a crush on them that's mm. important <laughs> that yeah. can be that's something that everyone's going to face everyone in life is going to face a situation where they're in love with someone who's not in love with them mm. and and vice versa yeah everyone is going to be pursued by someone who they are not in love with yeah and the cruelty that we inflict on one another inadvertently mm. 
is unnecessary, I think. It's something that you can you can either have an instinctive way of dealing with it, but too often it's learned through really hard yeah. one experience and, and sometimes I don't, I don't often think, it's not I don't think you can all. take away all of it. But yeah, it, it does feel like the the, the, the kind of the thing it, behind right? the, the song is that, that, that um yeah, all of the really important things in life Everybody just kind of goes, well, they'll figure it out, and then just kind of pushes you down a slope. Uh, While teaching you other things yeah, that yeah. really uh, you could learn off the internet. And we end up yeah. learning the other things off the internet. Hmm. Seriously. Yes, yeah, yeah, precisely. I, yeah. I have done that. Like, I have Googled how do you deal with a stalker. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't know <laughs> okay. and I had a stalker. Yeah, what yeah. do I do? Do I go to the police? Is it not that big a deal? Do I tell my friends? What do mm. I do? How do I approach him? What Am I to be polite to him? Because mm. that might... What, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I draw boundaries with somebody who's potentially violent? That yeah, is yeah. something important. Mm. And I Googled that when mm. I could Google long division. And that would be <laughs> a far easier way to get the answer. Mm. Yeah. Not, oh, maybe shit. maybe these things can't be taught, but at least you could give people templates. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah, especially... I keep, I keep thinking about tax, doing tax returns because I still... Tax like, returns, exactly. It's, such yeah. a mystery. Mm. And so many, yeah, so many terms that you like, I have no idea what it is, and I'll chat to my accountant and they go, oh, it's this thing. You're like, oh, well, that stands to reason. Stands to perfect reason, but yeah, I wouldn't sure. have gotten there without you. Yeah, why do um, I need an accountant? Like, why do I need to employ somebody else... Mm. To deal I with think my I, money. The, 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 the lesson... I think and my in direct e- relationship with the government. The... The most important lesson in any topic mm. is when to know... It, it is when you're learning the basics of something is when to know when you are out of your depth, mm. I think. And when to when do I, When do I need a lawyer? When do I, when do I need a doctor? When when do I like and to, to and learning how to know that you don't know, that's the weird thing about being a man and trying to define masculinity, is is that masculinity is being an idiot and thinking that you know everything when you don't, yeah, and not having any idea how to say. Uh, I think was it in the, I don't know if it was in the freaking thing that I sent to you, but there was like the statistics that they did a survey of of do they know the answer to this thing and it was and and it was like and it was like some conv- some question that not many people would know the answer to but everybody gave an attempt at an answer there was mm. only something like five percent just straight up said oh i've got no idea you'll have to ask somebody else like you'll have to ask an ex- expert yeah um but this is an interesting one this is a really interesting thing and i'm going to um, I, i've been pressing relationships i guess in in this conversation when you get taught sexual health stuff in PE, which mm. we're fairly good about these days in schools, they say you should use a condom. Mm. If, you know, in any situation you should insist on this. Mm. They never tell you that when that situation comes up, you're likely to be incredibly scrambled. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For example. Mm. Or they say, you know, don't don't feel pressured to have sex if you don't want to have sex. They don't tell you that you'll be hijacking yourself. Yeah, yeah. That you need to set boundaries for yourself before you get into a heated situation because people are stupid. They don't tell boys that they're going to get hijacked by their own penises. Mm. You know, like boys can think that they will have the utmost respect for a woman's Mm. word and then they'll just think, oh, well, you know, let's just take our shirts off because it's warm. Like, (laughs) you'll be hijacked by your own brain because we're really good at rationalising our impulses Mm. in the heat of a moment. 
Yeah. Everything seems reasonable at the time, and they don't tell you that you're going to be fighting with your own instincts as much as anything else. I think for that, it there's so much in in um, uh, sexual education that's about here's how it works. Now don't do it. Mm. Uh, here's what you must avoid. You know, don't, you know, make you must have consent, and all these kinds of you must not do this, and you must avoid disease. But um, in my experience, and I think it's backed up by research, um, <laughs> uh, the, the best pedagogical tools is to point to the correct thing at all times, show the correct thing first, and if you must, then instruct what not to do, always instruct what not to do second. Yeah. So, point two, well, this is how to have a very fulfilling sexual relationship with someone. Here is how, yeah. Or, Here's and, how to ask for consent, yeah, for example. Yeah, as yeah, in, yeah. You know. And then, then the person is far more when the, the person is aware of what the the kind of goal is. Now I'm trying to apply teaching music to uh, <laughs> to sexual education. Arguably, but, um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of dance movies yeah. would, would back you up. And, uh, just feel the rhythm in your yeah, hips. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you don't you don't yeah teach someone piano by telling them what not to do. You can go, well, put your hands like this, and then. You know, <laughs> Keep you. <laughs> I just realised nobody can see what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I'm just imagining sex ed with people going, "Put your hands like this." The next thing I'm going to say, "Keep your wrists above the keyboard." <laughs> Remember, you're like, uh, it's like you're holding eggs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the um, indecisive chess move. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so the point being that we are not going to run the Department of Education anytime mm. soon. But I oh, and the, the and the the other thing, like okay, co- co- so commerce, taxes, food, uh, sexual education, and I, I, this is the one that's really on the point of when when do you need an expert? When do you call an expert in? Everybody should learn when they need to call an expert in, and that is medicine. Medicine. I feel like. Uh, once again, first aid is an elective. Why is that not the first thing you're doing every morning? Why is, is learning how to PE, learning how to yeah. do a, a um, you know a, a splint, how, learning how to you know bandage somebody, uh, and uh, yeah, like we have a system for it where people have a certificate they got to renew every year or or something, but we don't. Yeah, it's not it's not it, like and again, you want to live in a society where. Uh, your jaw drops to the floor when somebody tells you that they can't read. Your jaw drops to the floor when someone tells you, I don't, I don't know how to add that up. I don't know how to multiply that. Your jaw drops to the floor when someone tells you, I don't know how, how to do a, a bandage on that kind of wound. Or CPR. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, or CPR. That's probably far more, well, far more thing. relevant um, in many ways. And because I feel like, well, yeah, it's, it's a kind of double whammy thing because you sort of, you want... I feel like you want to have a society where the, like there's less, not as many people need to go to the emergency room because everybody around them can help them out. But then again, learning in every subject. When do you truly know? Okay, we've learnt, we all learnt first aid, but this guy really we we can't we help him. We all learnt first aid, we can't, so we know what a heart attack looks yeah, like. we so can't we help him, to, so we, we need, need to immediately to call, call rather than making an, a, a fumbly attempt to help. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's something where I'm scared of myself because I don't know the answers to those questions. Mm, th- yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I'm a intelligent, educated person who should know these very basic things, but instead I know a whole lot of no- about stuff that doesn't matter. 
Uh, and that, that bothers me. Well, I guess that gap used to be filled by religious education to a certain extent on how properly to live, but mm. that's all, all, almost necessarily limited yeah. by... Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> We're not going to talk about religion? Was that that face that you just made? No, no, we can. No, that was... Um, you just... Uh, can you explain what you mean? <laughs> Well, in terms of life lessons and how to behave in life, mm. that used to, that was a gap that used to be filled by religious education. Yeah, sure. Um, which is itself leaves out a lot. But I think, you know, ideas about uh, financial prudence used to be religious mm. yeah. in, their, in their kind of gearing. And learning... Maybe I'll... Maybe this idea will destroy the whole economy, but <laughs> learning like what tricks advertising people are using on you, learning what your biases are and how people can play on that, or how, and I mean, it's kind of what my show is about, is all the biases that you have that trip yourself up and, and how to, and yeah, when to recognise when you are, yeah, doing confirmation bias or any or popularity when bias or any other When to recognise when you're being manipulated by another yeah. person in a room. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't need to be advertising, but yeah, when someone's when someone is clearly manipulating you. Mm. Um, Speaking of manipulation, mm. uh, want to tell me your show details? <laughs> if people sure. like want to hear that song, they should come and see. There it. are three more shows. There's tonight. There's the podcast going straight out. It's going straight out. Today. It'll be straight in your earbuds if you're listening on Thursday, the tenth of April. Yep. Um, if you're listening in a hundred years in the future, uh, well it. done. Well done. <laughs> I've done um, well. I've done well. <laughs> uh, yeah, tonight at 8.30 at Ruby's Music Room, which is on the corner of Little Lonsdale Street and Bennett's Lane. Tomorrow night is also at 8.30pm, and then there's a show at 6pm on Saturday. Sadly. Which is my last show before I go back to Sydney. Uh, and then you're doing and the Sydney Comedy Festival? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm hoping to do a show in June, but I haven't locked that in. How would people so find out what your People would have to go to BryceHalliday.com, uh, and then there's links Halliday's to... Halliday's felt like... Holiday. H A L L I D A Y. I think we did that last time. Yes, we did. Um, all right, cool. Um, and uh, if you are listening to this, you know that I'm an you know where the comedy internet, friend. You know where the internet is. You know where the internet is. You can find out when my shows are. Please come. Please come. Uh, and uh, I ate all the snacks. Sorry, Bryce. You didn't oh, like seaweed-flavoured right. deliciousness. Is there still the ginger thing left? No, or? I ate all the ginger. Oh, I was interested in the ginger thing. I just was too slow. Too late. I was too, too, late. too slow. Someone brings snacks. Yeah, that's a lesson. Life lesson. <laughs> if someone brings snacks, they're going to eat them. If you don't get in quick. How to bring charming snacks to a to a podcast. That should be a, a Thursday morning lesson. That should be. All right. I will talk to you again soon. I had fun with this. I'm going to put this up this afternoon. Thanks, guys.